If you have a Bible, please turn with me to Genesis chapter 47. For those of you that do not know, we have been trekking through the book of Genesis for the last two years. We started in October of 2018. It is now October, oh, well, next week will be October, but pretty much, close enough. So we are coming to an end to the book of Genesis. Today, we are just going to read chapter 47, verses 13 through 26. Uh, Don't be afraid. Next week, we're going to do all of uh, the rest of 47 and 48. Lord willing, the week after that, we'll do Genesis 49, and then again... Lord willing, we will do Genesis 50. And then that will conclude the first book of the Bible. So, uh, it's always it's kind of sad and exciting all at the same time to get to the end. Let's read um, Genesis 47, 13 through 26. And remember the prayer we prayed. Lord, show us wonderful things from Your law. So that's what we're praying. Now there was no food in all the land, for the famine was very severe, so that the land of Egypt and the land of Canaan languished by reason of the famine. And Joseph gathered up all the money that was found in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan in exchange for the grain that they bought. And Joseph brought the money in the Pharaoh's house. And when the money was all spent in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan, all the Egyptians came to Joseph and said, Give us food. Why should we die before your eyes? For our money is gone. And Joseph answered, Give your livestock, and I will give you food in exchange for your livestock, if your money is gone. So they brought their livestock to Joseph, and Joseph gave them food in exchange for the horses, the flocks, the herds, and the donkeys. He supplied them with food in exchange for all their livestock that year. And when that year was ended, they came to him the following year and said to him, We will not hide from my Lord that our money is all spent. The herds of livestock are my Lord's. There is nothing left in the sight of my Lord but our bodies and our land. Why should we die before your eyes, both we and our land? Buy us and our land for food, and we with our land will be servants to Pharaoh. And give us seed that we may live and not die, and that the land may not be desolate. So Joseph bought all the land of Egypt for Pharaoh, For all the Egyptians sold their fields because the famine was severe on them. The land became Pharaoh's. As for the people, he made servants of them from one end of Egypt to the other. Only the land of the priest he did not buy, for the priest had a fixed allowance from Pharaoh and lived on the allowance that Pharaoh gave them. Therefore they did not sell their land. Then Joseph said to the people, Behold, I have this day bought you and your land for Pharaoh. Now here is seed for you, and you shall sow the land. And at the harvest you shall give a fifth to Pharaoh, and four-fifths shall be your own, as seed for the field, and as food for yourselves, and your households, and as food for your little ones. And they said, You have saved our lives. May it please my Lord. We will be servants to Pharaoh. So Joseph made it a statute concerning the land of Egypt, and it stands to this day that Pharaoh should have the fifth. The land of the priest alone did not become Pharaoh's. Let's pray one more time. Father, we thank You today for Your Word. Thank You, Lord, that You wrote this as a testimony to us, to help us, Lord, to strengthen us, to increase our faith, to turn our eyes to You. And Lord, I pray that You would help us hear what the Spirit is saying today to the church. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, when you get to sections like this, at least me, This is one of those sections of Scripture as we're going through verse by verse by verse by verse that I say to myself, what in the world am I going to preach about this little episode? Because this little episode sounds pretty simple. There was a famine, Joseph was prepared, and the people were not. Pretty simple. They weren't prepared, they were relying on, and I could turn this into a libertarian political sermon, which I am not going to do, but I would like to note that they were relying 100% on Egypt to take care of everything, therefore they lost everything. So you can take that for whatever you would like to take it as, but that is what happens. Like, hey, we're going to die, here's all our money. Hey, we're going to die, here's all of our means of making additional money. Here's our livestock. Hey, we're going to die, what good is it to us to have land and walking around 
free. We're going to give you our bodies as servants and you can have all of our land. And Joseph just said, yep, yep, yep. And he did very wisely what he was supposed to do as, in essence, the prime minister of Egypt, second in command, vice president, whatever you want to call him, of Egypt because he was second only to Pharaoh. Joseph is 100% prepared, and I want you to think back that God had specifically prepared Joseph to be in this position. And God's preparatory school is not the school I would have signed up for. If you remember, Joseph's preparatory school was being hated by his brothers, sold into slavery, falsely accused of rape, and totally forgotten about in prison for a total of 13 years. That is not the story or the school I would have signed up for or asked a scholarship towards or went to any of their football games. That is not the school I want. That's the school God put Joseph through. And he learned many things, and we've spent a lot of time talking about that. What God also did with Joseph is gift him with a gift of administration. Because when you go back and you look, He's in Potiphar's house, and he starts organizing it so well that Potiphar doesn't even have to think about it. He goes into the prison and organizes the prison so well that the head guy in the prison doesn't even have to think about it. Joseph is gifted by God to organize stuff. I do not relate to this gift at all. Now my wife does, and some of you do, but the gift of administration is nowhere on my radar at all. And my wife said, amen, in the back, and nobody saw. But I, 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 uh, this isn't me. Now, this may be you, but he is uber-gifted, over and abundantly gifted at administration, and he's incredibly shrewd. Because when he sees this, and remember, he was a prisoner back in chapter 41, He's a prisoner, and they pull him out of the prison. They have to hose him off because he's been in a dungeon-like Egyptian prison. Who knows how pleasant that was. Uh, he was gross. They have to shave him and clean him up, put on fresh clothes, bring him before the Pharaoh, and he interprets the dream so precisely and perfectly that Pharaoh recognizes this is it. And remember the dream, seven years of famine, seven, or excuse me, seven years of plenty, seven years of famine, and he, gifted by God as he is, knows immediately, you need to prepare for the seven years of famine by taking advantage of the seven years of plenty. God is, getting, God is showing you what he is about to do. Pretty cool. Pharaoh says, you're the guy then. There's nobody else like this. There's nobody that is as gifted as you and as wise and discerning as you, and he puts Joseph in charge. So I set, I'm reminding you of that whole scenario because Joseph is doing exactly what he should be doing in the position that he's in. You could make an argument, because you could read this and say, gosh, that just seems kind of harsh, right? I mean, he, he took all their money, he took all their livestock, he took all their them, their freedom. He took literally took them and made them servants to Pharaoh and he took their land. What you are seeing though is he's saying, I'm going to give this all back so that you can plow your fields and so that you can take care of your little ones. Did you notice that was in there? And you can also have enough seed, to, in other words, to go back into the agricultural life that you're accustomed to probably using the horses and the donkeys and the oxen that were given to Pharaoh. It's just that now it belongs to Pharaoh and we're going to use you to do the work that you were doing anyway. And you're still the only difference now is you're giving a fifth of everything, kind of like a tithe, except it's a fifth, back to Pharaoh. If he was a real tyrant and dictator, he could have just said, oh yeah, you just live here in squalor and... Uh, Thus begins your slavery. But that is not where Egypt is yet. They're about to do that in Exodus to the children of Israel. We're not there yet though. So Joseph is actually showing benevolence. He's actually showing kindness in the middle of famine because otherwise these people are going to die. 
The thing I'm seeing here that I want to point out, and then we're going to go to something that Jesus said, is Joseph was prepared 100%, and the Egyptian people were not. The Egyptian people did not prepare at all during that seven years of plenty. They enjoyed it while it lasted, and then they lost all of it to survive the famine. In other words, they were just going with the flow of whatever the flow was. Wherever the culture, wherever the world was taking them, they were going with it. Whereas Joseph was prepared. And he had been listening to God. God showed him what was coming and he prepared. It's actually pretty simple when you read this section of the Scripture. And it's just kind of a natural consequence of what happened in the middle of the famine. And Moses writing this the reason he's including this, I believe, one, the Holy Spirit is directing him to include it. But I think another reason that he is including it is he's giving, he's giving the people of Israel who have just escaped slavery in the book of Exodus as they're reading about their origins 400 years prior, and that's what this is. As they're reading that, they're saying this is how Egypt got maneuvered to the, to the place that it was after this was what Egypt was like prior and then that other pharaoh comes that doesn't know Joseph and starts changing things and really creating slavery. Terrible. But this is what it looked like 400 years ago. Just giving them a backstory to what to their own situation. It would be really easy for me now to have a sermon on being prepared. I could do a doomsday prepper sermon if I wanted to. This would be a great place to, uh, if we were sponsored by one of those companies, that would be great, right? How many of you know what I'm talking about? One of the, Anyway, this would be a great doomsday prepper moment, but that is not what I'm doing. Neither am I saying that because Joseph was prepared and they weren't, that the next discussion is going to be you should have a 401k in place and there's lots there in financial stewardship but I do think that there is a spiritual application to this preparedness that I would like to make this morning and it's through a parable that Jesus uses and it is about money. So I want you to go to Luke chapter 12 with me. I am not anti-401k. I have one. I am not anti-savings accounts or IRAs. I have those. I'm not against preparedness. I think preparedness is good. But what is the ultimate preparedness? What is the ultimate way for us as Christians to be prepared for whatever? Luke chapter 12, we're going to start reading with verse 13. Interestingly enough, this is right after Jesus talked about the unpardonable sin, which we're not talking about this morning. And somebody will come up to me after service. Can you tell me about the... Anyway. The unpardonable sin is almost like the book of Revelation. People have many questions. Uh, probably because the idea of the unpardonable sin is as scary as it sounds. So, let's read Luke chapter 12, starting with verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. I don't know why that's so funny to me. Jesus is teaching on the unpardonable sin, and this guy wants to know if Jesus will figure out the inheritance issue that they're having. <laughs> but he said to him, 
Man, who made me a judge or arbiter over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and all my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax. Eat. Drink. Be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. This parable tells me that the issues that we have, we have today with money are no different than the issues of 2,000 years ago where it is human nature to say, I am going to focus on me and mine. I am going to focus on my success, my productivity. I'm going to focus on my future. I'm going to focus on having good vacations. I'm going to focus on having a big pile of money when I retire. I'm going to focus on me. I'm going to focus on me. I'm going to focus on me. And it gets more and more aggressive as we go. And our entire culture has been built around dangling out a carrot in front of all of us to have more and more and more and more. And if you have more, it should be better and more and faster and more and more beautiful and more. Correct? I'm not wrong, right? Nobody's, nobody in this room is, is oblivious to the drive of our culture to have more. And you don't have to be rich to be guilty of this. You can be dirt poor and guilty of this. Wishing that you had more. You don't have to have more in order to be guilty of desiring covetousness. That's what Jesus started off with. More. And this guy just illustrates a successful person saying, look how he's a farmer and he's done really well and he says, look how well my farm has done. I, my barn isn't even big enough for all these crops. So without a thought towards God, not a drop of thanksgiving on his lips towards heaven, he says, I know what I'll do. I will tear down these piddly barns and I will build bigger barns to store everything that I've done. And then, where is his heart? I will relax, eat, drink, and be merry. The issue here is not the money or the successful farmer. The issue is the heart that is consumed with the product of his farm. Consumed with the riches and with the wealth and with the more. We need farmers. We need successful business people. We need them. But it's kind of dangerous. There is only one thing in the Bible that gets brought up in reference to you can't serve both simultaneously. What is that? Money. You cannot serve two masters. You will either love one and hate the other, We'll love this one and hate that one. You cannot serve God and money. 
And how is money served? It's served, and you get an echo of it here, it's served by the heart that says, I want more so I can relax and do my own thing. And maybe for other people, it's so I don't have to, or I, I can be viewed as important or so that I, I, have, I have this ability to show people that I've arrived financially or I'm just, I've got my eye on this really awesome car or this really awesome boat. I've got my eye on this really awesome vacation house. I've got my eye on this thing. And that is where my heart is. Money is more seductive and destructive and the love of it, I should say, is more seductive and more destructive than anything. And here's why it is so difficult. Because you need it. Right? I mean, if you're going to have a roof over your head, you've got to have money. And if you're going to have groceries in a refrigerator, you've got to have money. If you're going to have clothes, you've got to have money. There's a lot of things we have in 2020 that our grandparents would say to us and probably have. You don't need that. Has anybody got a grandma or grandpa who has said that to you at some point in your life? Well, you don't actually need that. But we want it and we... Our cultures, our electronics, and our everything else, we've. As our culture shifts, you kind of almost do need the electronics, right? How many of your kids don't have access now to the internet with school? This year, because of COVID, they gave out laptops, right? I mean, they sent people laptops in order to use for school because that's the way they're, they're doing things. That, Culture is always going to advance if God doesn't come back within the next 30 minutes, which He very well may, but if He doesn't come back in the next 30 years, who knows where we will go with technology. The point here is, is that the heart of this farmer is warped by the desire for more. He was blessed by God and had a wonderful crop and his immediate idea was, I want more. i got to have a bigger barn to put in these crops so that I can do what I want. And Jesus says that God says to him, Fool, this night your soul's required. You have an appointment with me tonight. What's the good of all this? And Jesus finishes it by saying, So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. When I was talking about Joseph being prepared and the Egyptians not being prepared, I really want to make the connection that we have to be prepared spiritually in our heart towards God. And I mean that we need prepared. I will not belabor this point. I will simply state it as a fact that I I consider beyond debate. There is no question that the winds of our culture are against the Gospel of Jesus Christ. And that wind will blow harder every day. We have lived in a blessing for so long in America of just yeah, you just come to church. I mean, that's just what you do. It's, just, it's all good and the culture will applaud you. And if you're a businessman in the Bible Belt, you put a little ichthus, the little fish, on your business card. That lets everybody know you're a good person. You go to church. Your life could be filled with sin and grossness, but you hide all that. you got an ichthus on your business card. I'm a Christian. I go to this church on Easter's and Christmas. And, and I'm a good person, but the culture's changing, Right? where it's no longer viewed that way. You bigoted homophobes, you, right? This is what's happening. To believe that men and women are born sinners is offensive in a world that demands acceptance for whatever they want to do, right? And, and, the, and your little quiet voice saying, wait, God says that's wrong. How dare you say that it's wrong? 
Do you think that's going to go away? That's not going away. That is going to get more intense. When I read the Bible and you read church history, you find out that throughout Christian history, the intensity against the church has always been there. Our Chinese brothers and sisters in China today are like, well, yeah, it's been that way for 60 years here. We in this country and in the Western society as a whole have lived through a period of such blessing that we are very much like the Egyptians, totally unprepared spiritually for when a drought comes in, and I mean a cultural drought, that says, uh, we don't like you guys anymore. We don't like what you stand for. We don't like, like you at all. So spiritual preparedness is not, in my opinion, a good sermon for you to think about as you go about your real life. I am telling you, this is your real life. Or five years from now, some of you sitting in this room will not be following Jesus. You'll be following a culture that demanded your obedience. And I hate even saying it. I don't like it. I know what I sound like, but I'm telling you, this culture demands your obedience to whatever they say is right. We had better be getting our version of right from Scripture. Nowhere else. And Jesus, you don't think Jesus knew? You don't think God prepared us in His Word for moments like this? Of course He did. This guy that had all this blessing and all he wanted to do with the blessing was have more? This guy's, this guy's going to die tonight. You have an appointment with the King of Kings tonight. Fool, where was your heart? Not on the king. His heart was on himself. He was not rich toward God. Please make, I want to make sure very clear. I just want to throw this in parentheses. I'm not preaching against money. I'm preaching against a heart consumed by money. Now, that consumption happens two ways. And if you keep reading, it's almost like contextually, he had, God has more to say right here in this very passage of Scripture. So let's keep reading what Jesus said. Verse 22. And He said to His disciples, therefore, remember whenever there's a therefore, you need to see what it's there for. You've heard that before? Whenever there's a therefore in Scripture, see what it's there for. Well, we just read what it was there for. We just read about the bro this guy who wants his inheritance figured out with his brother. And Jesus said, here's the parable. And then we find out that this guy who wanted more was a fool because he wasn't rich towards God. His heart was far away. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. What you will eat. Nor about your body. What you will put on. For life is more than food. And the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn. And yet God feeds them. Oh, of how much more value are you than the birds? I got the King James in there. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Some of you may need to tattoo that on your forehead so that you can see it every single morning. Maybe that's not a good idea. But uh, Which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to your life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will He clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek His kingdom, and these things will be added to you. The things you need. 
Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Now that's the famous verse we remember. But the context of this verse is the larger picture where Jesus is saying there are two ways that I see here, there may be more, that money will destroy your soul. Money destroys your soul because you want more of it and you start getting it and you want more of it. You're in love with it and what it does for you and how it makes you look. So the one destruction he talks about, the Apostle Paul talks about it in Timothy, several other places, it is destructive to the soul to pursue money for the sake of itself in your own gratification. That is the one we look at and say, yes, yes, I could see that being an issue. But the other way that money is destructive to us is the anxiety it creates when we don't have it. So we are also giving our heart and our time and our energy and our thoughts to what we don't have and how we may get or what we may lose. The devil is sneaky in the way that human nature is manipulated. You have the uber-successful guy over here who's being destroyed because he's got so much, and we all sit back and say, look at him. But then over here, you have the person living in poverty also being destroyed by money that they don't have and are constantly dwelling on what they don't have. Anxious. Worried. Fearful. And then in that spectrum, there's, we're falling somewhere in that spectrum. Right? Somewhere in that spectrum of super fearful or super selfish, we're falling. And Jesus is telling us, here's where I want you to be on the spectrum. Nowhere in there. I want you to be over here looking at the lilies and the ravens. I want you to see that God gives them everything they need and I want you to trust Me and what I want you to do is be rich towards God, not yourself, and I want you to store up that richness of seeking God and that's how you're going to have treasure in heaven. And your treasure, we know where it is because we know where your heart is. Your heart tells us where your treasure is. In another place, Jesus says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. In other words, what's really there, what's really in us is exposed really when we're under pressure. If this year has done anything for folks, it's put them under pressure. I really don't think I need any sort of amen for that been the weirdest year of our lifetimes, I think. Maybe there were some other weird years, but this one's really weird. And under that pressure, our anxieties go, our fears, but also our lusts, right? As we seek for a way out, our desires for wrong things, if I could just occupy my mind with something else, I know, I'll just binge some Netflix. 73 hours over the next 74 hours. Looking for escapes. Church, God is the ultimate value. He is the ultimate and supreme treasure. He is who we should be being rich towards. Meaning our lives are live for Him, but not just that for all of you doers that love that. That's right, we're going to live harder for Jesus. Yes, you should, but your heart in the quietness of your own life when nobody else is around, not even your husband or your wife or your children or whoever is in your life, but in the quietness of your own life 
that you are pursuing God actively. You are actively pursuing Him, being rich toward Him. I would encourage you to give more money away. As much as you can. I'm not asking you to give it to this church. You can if you wish. I'm not going to tell you not to. But I'm talking about looking for opportunities to give. Looking for opportunities to not be selfish. Looking for opportunities to make other people more important than yourself. Looking for those type of opportunities. Don't allow money or the lack of it to swallow your soul. Love God with all of your heart, with all of your strength, with all of your soul. That is what Jesus is saying. Consider the lilies. Look at the fields. God knows you need this. Seek first the kingdom. And all these things will be added. It's almost like He doesn't want you worried as you watch your 401k dip through the stock market. What's going to happen in the election? What's it going to do to my future? All of us feel that way. Everybody feels this way. We are like the Egyptians that were just going through the culture of the moment in the seven years of plenty. Yay! In the seven years of famine, we will sell ourselves to Egypt. I don't want to be in that position spiritually. Can we finish, or I can have the worship team come on up? And I want to just, I want to give you some encouragement as they're coming. We're going to receive communion of something you can do. Psalms chapter 1. Psalm chapter 1, I think it illustrates a little bit of something you can begin to do to be rich toward God. You want to know how to be rich toward Him. I mean, I'm, I'm telling you to do things you know to do. Pray and seek Him. But I want you to hear what uh, the psalmist says here. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. He doesn't take his advice from the wicked nor stands in the way of sinners. He doesn't do things the way sinners do things. Nor sits in the seat of scoffers. He is not pointing his finger and scoffing or making fun of what's around him. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. Christianity is not a religion of casual belief. The, God wants us thinking about Him day and night. Thinking about His Word day and night. This is what being rich towards Him looks like. This is the result of somebody who's dwelling in God's Word day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. And its leaf does not wither. In all that He does, He prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. I want to be like a tree planted by streams of living water. Where the roots go down deep and I continue to have fruit in my life regardless of what's going on around me. stand up if you would we're going to worship with a final song and then when this song is over we're going to receive communion together 
But this is a moment for you to say, I don't want to be rich toward myself, rich in anxiety or rich in selfishness. I want to be rich toward God. Lord, help me. Let this be a day of change for me. And just use this moment to say that to Him. This song is a beautiful worship song. And then we will come back together and receive communion.
Father, we worship you and thank you today. Thank you, Lord, that we are not on our own. Lord, teach us to lay up treasures in heaven. We need your help. God, we're so used to things a certain way. God, help us to see what you want us to see. The lilies, the ravens. Help us to see you. Teach us to be rich towards you. God, move our hearts. God, cleanse our minds. All the wrong thinking. God, inflame our hearts with passion for you, I pray. God, we want to serve you and be well-pleasing to you, and I pray that you would help us. Thank you, Lord. It's your joy that's our strength. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Church, we're going to receive communion. So this side here will come up to get it here. And this side over here will be this way and we'll dismiss one row at a time. So I'm going to have the first row here on each side. And then we can just the second row on each side. You can just dismiss yourself by row now. beginning of the service today you made a salvation call, a declaration of having your heart right with him is there anyone here this morning that that did that and said yes, I, I turned my heart to Jesus this morning, is there anybody this morning that did that so we would like to pray with you If you did, or if you do, let us know. We want to pray with you. I know there were a lot of kids in here. This, so moms and dads, if any kid, ask your kids today if they gave their heart to Jesus. This meal we're about to receive is... It's a representation, but it's a deep representation of the body and the blood of Jesus. His body broken for us. His blood shed for us to make us clean, to make us whole. Jesus said to do this in remembrance of Him. And on purpose, intentional remembering Him. Let's pray over this. Father, we thank you for everybody here that has been saved by your gracious power. We thank you, Lord, for your blood that cleanses us from dead works in our conscience to serve the living God. We thank you that we, as guilty sinners, are plunged beneath that flood and we are clean because of 
your sinless perfection. We thank you, Lord, that your body was broken for us, represented in the bread, and there's no sin ever committed in your life. You were perfectly whole. You volunteered to be broken so that we could be made whole by your sacrifice. We thank you today, Lord. And we rejoice as a church as we take this in remembrance of you. Let's do that together. as we go, we thank You for this day. Thank You for Your Word. We thank You for Your Spirit. Thank You, Lord, no matter what the chaos is, Jesus, You are standing there in the midst of it, unaffected, guiding our lives. We give You glory today, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Praise the Lord. It's good to see you. Church, you're officially dismissed. Why don't you go tell somebody you're glad to see them, especially a first-timer. And if you are first-time with us, we have a gift for you in the back. And the giving, to remind everybody, is up here.